This is The Joe Gaither Show on BamaCentral.com. Good afternoon, Tuscaloosa, Internet World, West Alabama, everybody who's listening to us on the podcast machine, Spotify, Apple Podcast, Amazon. This is The Joe Gaither Show on Bama Central, BamaCentral.com. We are live on Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter right there at Joe Gaither 6 on all your social media machines. You can find us right there, a proud part of the Bama Central Broadcasting Network. You can find us and leave us a comment, question, query, and complaint if you'd like to all our social media machines at Joe Gaither 6. As we said, we're a proud part of the Bama Central Broadcasting Network, and it's going to be a huge weekend around Bama Central. And we are proud that you have jumped in and joined us. So for Friday, we have a huge slate today, uh, and we're going to jump right on into it. We're going to talk about the Alabama football coaches because we had it set. We had the lineup set about, you know, four, five, seven days ago, eight days ago. Uh, But Alabama loses an offensive coordinator, has a little bit of a shuffling, and now there's more research for that for for more Alabama football coaches. Who do you want to see Alabama go out and hire as offensive line and tight ends coach? Uh, You can jump into the comments on Facebook, Twitter, or YouTube at JoeGator6 and tell us who you want to see Alabama hire. Uh, we're going to tell you the story and how this has changed for Kalen DeBoer. Uh, head coach Kalen DeBoer has had his responsibilities kind of shuffled on him in the last eight, nine days after losing uh, Ryan Grubb. Uh, then we're going to talk about Nate Oates, Alabama basketball, Alabama obviously hosting Texas A&M tomorrow in Coleman Coliseum at 11 a.m. We are going to be there at BamaCentral.com. Our man Blake Byler obviously leading our coverage with myself and Katie Wyndham. So you can follow us right there. We're going to talk about Alabama and Texas A&M, but we're going to talk about Nate Oates and what we might see over the next seven games. Alabama, only seven games left in the uh, 2023-24 season uh, before it gets to SEC tournament play and then uh, NCAA play, uh, tournament play. Obviously, uh, you want to see great, great things out of Alabama, but uh, our man Blake Byler writing a great article uh, comparing the analytics to other great offensive teams. Uh, we'll let you know kind of what that means to us going forward. All right, so uh, and then we're going to talk about the baseball opening day, Alabama softball opening day, uh, Eddie Jackson getting released, and Mac Jones rumors as well. So as well, as always, you can jump in and join us at Joe Gaither 6 on the, the Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, whatever you want to do on all those social medias. And of course, subscribe, rate, and review us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, uh, Amazon, wherever you want to find us, uh, and at the Bama Central YouTube channel as well. All right, what are we going to do first? We're going to start with Alabama coaches. Okay, so of course, Alabama loses Ryan Grubb. You lose Ryan Grubb, and you uh, you haven't replaced him yet. Uh, your coaching staff looks as follows. Nick Sheridan gets replaced from uh, – gets promoted from tight ends coach to offensive coordinator. All right, so we're familiar with that name, obviously coming from Washington. Jamarcus Shepard stays on staff, and he's going to basically assume kind of a, a co-offensive coordinator role as well as his wide receivers coach role. Uh, that's great. Robert Gillespie stays on staff from the previous staff. Uh, you, you have – holes here at offensive line and tight ends coach basically because you lost 
Ryan Grubb and Scott Huff. Uh, what, what, what are you going to see? You haven't really seen any good rumors come out about the offensive line position, and you wonder if they're going to just kind of do it by committee with uh, Nick Sheridan and Kalen DeBoer basically serving as the true offensive coordinator, the de facto offensive coordinator with Jamarcus Shepard, uh, and Nick Sheridan's going to be playing more hands-on with the offensive line. You know, you've got to have three guys – Kalen DeBoer, Nick Sheridan, and Jamarcus Shepard to kind of oversee the offensive play calling, the wide receivers position, at least the tight ends position maybe, or or, or a secondary position. You hire a tight ends coach, uh, that, that, that might be an option. Uh, and then you say, okay, we're all hands on deck for offensive line. Uh, would you be comfortable with that? If they left that position open, they would open the door for Jay Nunez to get on the field, a uh, special teams coordinator who has kind of seemed like he was going to be an off-the-field role uh, before the Ryan Grubb hire, uh, would you be comfortable with just saying, okay, Kalen DeBoer does the offensive line along with Nick Sheridan? All right, so all right, you promoted Nick Sheridan, and you don't have a whole lot of experience in Nick Sheridan as offensive coordinator. Most of his experience comes as a positional coach and working with tight ends recently with Kalen DeBoer uh, at Washington. What have you gotten out of the two seasons uh, with Nick Sheridan as offensive coordinator in Indiana? Obviously, he followed he followed Kalen DeBoer. Uh, Kalen DeBoer was one season as offensive coordinator. Then DeBoer departed to go to Fresno State. Uh, Nick Sheridan gets promoted at Indiana. And he, he inherits Michael Penix. You guys all saw Michael Penix at Washington this year. Michael Penix was one of those long-term college guys based on COVID years and injury years. Um, but, okay, he inherits Michael Penix. And yesterday, two days ago on the program, we talked about uh, – we talked about really – we ran down the points. And it was just like points, but you know the record of the points. They were they were six and two, and then they were like two and ten. Uh, there was the COVID year, and then it was the second year, twenty 2020 twenty and twenty twenty one. All right, so but actual numbers here. Actual numbers here with Michael Penix. Now, granted, in 2021, Michael Penix gets hurt again. They were they're playing quarterback carousel, but basically it all falls off. He, it falls off the rails for him. In 2020, the COVID year, Indiana is 59th in points. They're scoring 20, uh, 28.9 points per game. Do you want Alabama to score 28, 29 points per game this year? Uh, you know, that, that might be okay enough for you, but probably doesn't get it done against elite defenses in the SEC. They're 94th. They're 94th in yards per game uh, at 362 offensive yards per game. That's not that great. Uh, I mean, come on. You, you got to bump it up here. We have higher expectations of the Alabama offense uh, going forward in 2020. Okay, so his second year, you expect maybe you expect a little bit of improvement because it's your second year calling plays. Uh, no, they drop off the face of the planet. They're 123rd in points with 17.3 points per game, and they're 124th in yards per game with 291.8 yards per game. So they take a massive regression. They lose 11 points per game. They lose what's that? 60? That, that's 70? That's 70 something yards yards per game off. Offensively. Now, granted, Michael Penix plays his five games. He gets hurt. They go into quarterback carousel. But Nick Sheridan, as, as offensive coordinator with the Indiana Hoosiers, is really unable to establish a system. And by that point, he finds his way to Washington uh, to return to tight ends coach under Kalen DeBoer. 
So what does it tell you? What's the story now for Kalen DeBoer? Kalen DeBoer has had to fill multiple roles already in his what? month and a half on the job. He's been on the job for what five weeks, six weeks. Uh, he was hired what January 13th. Uh, I think, I think is what it was. Uh, let me look back on my calendar just to double check myself. Cause now that's going to drive me crazy. Yeah. Coach Saban retired on the 10th and yeah, they introduced him on the 13th. So he's been hired for a month and three days. He's served many roles already. First, he served as kind of a de facto re-recruiter for the for the Alabama roster, uh, meeting with the roster. Then he fills out his coaching staff to a certain degree. Obviously, he's, he's lost some guys uh, already from that initial move. But he then he's turned into okay. I gotta hit the ground, hit the ground running and show that I'm a, an elite recruiter. Uh, and he gets Ryan Williams back into the class. He gets QB Reese to sign his letter of intent. He get, basically gets everybody to uh, come into the 2024 class that's expected to be in the class. He retains the class, and he hits the ground. And, I, and, and honestly, all the reports on the recruiting trail are very, very positive. Now he's having to, okay, decide. I'm in the CEO role, role, role with Ryan Grubb as my offensive coordinator. Uh, I'm in the CEO role with, with Ryan Grubb as my offensive coordinator. Uh, I get to have, you know, Nick Sheridan comes in. Basically, it's a it's a plug-and-play staff from the Washington staff to the Alabama staff. And from that standpoint, you can be CEO. You can oversee the defense. You can hang out with Kane Womack on the on the recruiting trail. You can, you know, play, you can go hang out and, and do the media. You can meet with the certain Red Elephant clubs. You can do whatever you want to do. Uh, out, you know, the, the CEO type stuff, the administrative type stuff, administrative type stuff. But when you lose Ryan Grubb, you have to go back into, you have to look at these numbers that uh, Nick Sheridan put up. And you have to say, okay, I've got to return to my teacher level. I've been with Ryan Grubb for six, seven, eight, nine years. Uh, and he's learned the system. He's learned my offense. Now you've got to get back into the lab with Nick Sheridan, you're going to have to play this. Okay, maybe I have to adhere to the offensive line. Maybe I have to become the offensive line coach. Maybe I have to do different, uh, you know, get hands-on with Nick Sheridan. With Ryan Grubb, it, basically at this point, it was plug and play. It was, okay, we'll, we'll do the same meetings that we've done for the last six, seven, eight, nine years. I know that you know my philosophy. We kind of see, you, you know how I'm about to see the, an, an approach to this game plan. I know how you're about to see and approach this game plan. You kind of learn to trust one another. That level of trust is no longer there now that Nick Sheridan. Now, it's not not there, but the, but, but the level is not quite the same. The level is not quite the same because the experience is not quite the same. You're not going to just let Nick Sheridan, uh, you know, go off and uh, run his own script without your input. I think you might have done that with Ryan Grubb. You kind of, okay, it's more, it becomes more of an overseer role at this point. But now with Nick Sheridan, he's going to have to get into the lab and be, uh, be more hands-on. I wonder how it's going to affect his ability to both be uh, offensive-minded and get into uh, – and also play the administrative role. Also play the, okay, we got to be a disciplinarian on the team. I've got to also, you know, get out into the community and do these certain different events, the the things that Alabama, the Alabama's coaching staff has to do, you know, 
I, I've got to be a, a, an elite recruiter. Like, how much does this take his time away from some of the head coaching duties that you might have had, that you might have been able to do more freely uh, with Ryan Grubb as your offensive coordinator? I think that's going to be the biggest hurdle going forward. Not that Nick Sheridan is a bad offensive coordinator. Obviously, you know, these numbers at Indiana aren't that good, but you've got to consider. Michael Penix getting hurt in the second year. You've got to consider you're playing in the Big Ten. You've got to consider you're coming off. You're now two years removed from your best season ever as a program, really, in 2019 when Kalen DeBoer and Kane Womack were co-offensive you know, offensive coordinator and defensive coordinator, respectively. Uh, I mean, you're basically going in that, 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 into that staff from 2019. Now, is Nick Sheridan qualified to be offensive quarterbacks? I think absolutely. That, that's true. But it's going to have to be a little more hand-holding, a little more hands-on experience from Kalen DeBoer. And I think that that is um, going to create just a little more hurdles for this Alabama football team going forward into 2024. Now, one thing that you notice about Coach DeBoer, I want to you kind of, you kind of make this point as we kind of uh, approach spring practice. You're going to get spring practice in what, like, two months or so, less than that. Uh, your 8A game is April 13th, so you're in February, March, April, a month and a half away from 8A already kicking off. So it's time to get, you know, excited, get percolating about spring football. Why did you hire Coach Kalen DeBoer? He's not an Alabama man. He's not a, okay, he hasn't won any national championships. What's his pedigree? Uh, why did he become the man to, to replace Nick Saban? I think Greg Byrne knows this Alabama fan base and knows the landscape of college football uh, very, very well and combined kind of a certain philosophical mix for everything together. Okay, first off, you got to hear me out. All right, we all know the NIL at Alabama is not necessarily on the same level that it is at Texas. It's not the same level really that it is at Ohio State. You kind of get the feeling that Florida State is doing pretty well with NIL. You've seen Georgia do pretty well with NIL. I don't think Alabama is doing bad per se, but they're not giving quarterbacks like Nico Iamaleva $8 million uh, right off the bat in recruiting. I think that uh, Alabama is probably a step back from your Texas A&M, but I think Alabama has been selling, obviously, over the last 10, 15 years, the, the Nick Saban experience uh, in the NIL era, the last four five years, three, four years, uh, the Nick Saban experience, the quick path to the NFL, the competitive, you know, you're going to compete for a national championship. You're, the NIL is going to come later for you. Uh, and then, obviously, there is NIL opportunities. We know that Bryce Young, $1 million before taking a, a taking an NFL snap or taking a, star, a starter snap here at Alabama. I think Will, Will Anderson did pretty well for himself. His uh, his senior year, I think Jalen Milrow did okay last year, but it's not like an NFL or it's not like an NIL haven. So you've seen uh, Yay Alabama, and we we, we really uh, we were, we were pro Yay Alabama as the uh, Alabama collective here uh, in Tuscaloosa. Look, you've seen Yay Alabama gain a thousand subscribers from the time that, that Nick Saban retires and Caleb Nabor is hired, and you get you see the big celebration, and we support that. That's great, but you don't have the huge money donors. You're never really probably going to overtake Texas. You're never really probably going to overtake Texas A&M. So let's say I'm Joe Schmo and I'm five star recruit, and or I'm Caleb Downs and I'm jumping in the transfer portal. Uh, look, you're not 
really going to beat the Ohio State's dangling out $3 million. That you're not, you're not Arch Manning, you're not really going to beat the Texases out for with, with what they're dangling out, these deals. Okay, that's fine. But you're still Alabama. You're not going to lose out on every recruit. You're not going to become like, you know, the school for the blind and deaf. You're not going to be Mississippi State. You're not going to be one of these ter- terrible schools. You're still Alabama. You're going to get quality recruits. You go hire a guy like Kalen DeBoer, who has proven to be a great game day coach, who has proven over the course of his – what is it, 104 and 12? Is that his, his, his record as a head coach? He's proven over the course of, of his time, what, gotten to the national championship his second year at Washington – won three national titles uh, in a secondary division in college football. He made he made Fresno State into a decent little school for, for two years. Like, he's made these smaller programs where the resources are few and far between. Few and far between. He, he's made these smaller programs into winners, winning at a higher rate than they're supposed to be winning. Well, let's face it. He's not coming into Alabama and operating with no resources at all. Just look at his recruiting staff already. You can look down. You can look at his off-field recruiting staff. Uh, you look at Courtney Morgan. I mean, we, we've seen his impact already. You look at Jarrett McElwain. He has Alabama ties. Matt Shadid, uh, Ali Vanderberg. You got you got a ton of these recruiting. Kevin Green, Terry Jones, player personnel. Kevon Coleman is going to be a new grad assistant. Tyson Prince. Offensive analyst Cole Thomas, offensive analyst. You know you're gonna have uh, Aaron Hodges, player personnel, Detavia Sanders, director of recruiting uh, strategy. You're gonna have all these guys and girls, a bigger staff than you probably ever had. Uh, and, and look, Alabama is highly supported. It's not going to be the Texas and the Texas A&M, but you're not going to be operating with tiddlywinks. You're not operating with just like, you know, the BS stuff. You're not operating on secondary level as far as facilities go. I think a guy like Kalen DeBoer gets chosen to be Alabama's head coach because Greg Byrne knows that even at its max capacity, let's say yay Alabama gets everybody on board at the uh, at the lowest level. What's it, $9.99, $17.99 is somewhere in that range. Uh, you get everybody on board at that $20 a month, and that's great. And, and, and you hope for that to happen. You can go to what, yay-alabama.com to check that out. But – you're still not going to be competing with Texas and Texas A&M. You're still not going to be competing with the Ohio States of the world. And that's fine. But Kalen DeBoer can do more with less. You can, you bring in the four-star recruit. Look at the state of Alabama in 2025. The class is loaded. Zion Grady is still out there. Yeah, Naeem Alford is committed to Ohio State. You saw him commit to Ohio State, what, a week, week and change ago. And you've seen, you know, you, you wonder how much NIL money was at play there. You've seen the Ohio State people really jump out over and, and get into their checkbooks because of the Michigan National Championship. Naeem Offord might, might be a guy that you can get back into the class. Jamie French, not really in a state of Alabama guy, but he's he was re- committed. Uh, he, he was committed. You see what? Micah DeBose uh, is an Alabama guy. Your state of Alabama is loaded in 2025. You get a handful of these guys. Obviously, you're going to miss out. You might miss out on Naeem Offord. Uh, Naeem Offord. You're going to miss out on some of these guys that end up going to Texas or Ohio State. Sorry, it's Isaiah Bond. You know, you, 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 you weep and you say good luck, but you look at a guy like Kalen DeBoer and you see his staff, the staff that he's building, uh, at least at the moment, 
and you say, oh, these guys have done more with less in previous places, I think that they are going to be able to do more with less here at Alabama. Not not necessarily to say that there is less at Alabama, but you don't have necessarily the huge NIL fund. Uh, so as you continue to look at his staff, uh, we, we looked at the offensive staff. We're wondering who the offensive line coach is, who the tight ends coach is going to be, how they're going to divvy up the responsibilities. The defense is pretty much set, and the defense has a lot of great characteristics. The defensive staff, that is, has a lot of great characteristics uh, with Kane Womack, leading the defense as defensive coordinator and linebackers coach. Uh, Maurice Linguist is going to be co-defensive coordinator, and he's going to be with the defensive backs. And uh, Colin Hitchler as well is going to be a co-defensive coordinator, and he's going to be with the defensive backs. Freddie Roach, you know how the, the experience that he has, associate head coach and defensive line coach. William Minge, uh, you've seen the experience that he had at Washington. He was co-defensive coordinator at Washington. He's going to be linebackers coach here at Alabama, but obviously he's going to have a, a lot of input on the defense. So like the defensive staff is loaded with one, two, three, four different guys who have defensive coordinator experience. Now three of them are going to chip in as officially co-defensive coordinators along is kind of serving Kane Womack as the uh, as the head and chief there, but. Freddie Roach as well with his experience at Alabama uh, promoted associate head coach. I think the defensive staff looks about as good as you could have asked for in a post Nick Saban era. Oh, uh, what do you want? You got you got a couple guys with head coaching experience as well with uh, linguist and Kane Womack. So you've got guys who know what it's like from the to go top down, who know what it's like to serve and be served. Uh, and, and so so I'm really looking forward to how the defense adjusts to. This four-two-five Husky system, uh, this, this this error, this kind of uh, this attack mindset. I can't I can't wait to see it uh, going forward. Swarm defense, just uh, to, to see the swarm D. I can't wait to get to know that going forward into spring practice. So there's kind of like your coaching staff. You still have holes at offensive line and tight ends coach. You could opt to not fill the holes, or you could opt to. I mean, obviously, it's still not too late to hire anybody. But uh, I think that all this kind of plays into how much responsibility can coach DeBoer really bear. He's all gonna he's gonna be working hand in hand with Nick Sheridan, really shaping the offense together. And I think he, Nick Sheridan, and Jamarcus Shepard are gonna be kind of like that three-headed uh team that's building the offense together. How much can, can they really take on extra as far as offensive line or tight end duties? Uh, I wonder how that's going to play out. And and can Kalen DeBoer still do the administrative duties, still do the CEO type stuff that's needed to be a head coach and and, re- and really trust Nick Sheridan? You see the, the numbers we outlined, 59th in yards per game uh, in the first year and 123rd in yards per game in the second year. Those are not great numbers. Now, obviously you don't have the same, you don't have the same weapons in Indiana that you're going to have at Alabama. That's 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 clear, and you're not going to be facing the same schedule. Uh, so so there's going to be a lot of differences here uh, at, at Alabama than there was at Indiana. But those are not great numbers. So how much handholding is is uh, Kalen DeBoer going to have to do this coming up year? And can they find an offensive line coach or a tight ends coach that will maybe uh, step in there and mitigate some of that handholding, or, or take some of the, so some of that handholding out? Uh, you, you find a guy with great experience and you get somebody that can that can really 
step alongside and execute Nick Sheridan and Kalen DeBoer's vision, uh, you, you, could, you could fill a lot of holes with a strong offensive line coach. Really, with Ryan Grubb leaving, I think it stings a bit, but with Scott Huff leaving, I think that stings a lot more because that's a bigger hole to fill. Nick Sheridan with offensive line, uh, with, with offensive coordinator experience before, nobody really on staff at the moment that has great offensive line experience. That's going to be, I think, the biggest question mark going forward with a couple of weeks left to go until spring practice. All right, before we continue on the program, I want to tell you about my friends at uh, my friends at Druid City Music Hall. You can go to druidcitymusichall.com to find out some of their shows right now. Uh, but next week, they've got shows Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. I'm probably going to be there on Tuesday and Friday. I really enjoy what I've been hearing about the Tuesday uh, the Tuesday act, the Brook and the Bluff. They've, on Wednesday, they have Pigeons playing ping pong. Thursday, they've got 49 Winchester. And Friday, they've got the Stews. So they they're going to be a lot of great shows at Druid City Music Hall. You can find them on the strip right here in Tuscaloosa. Uh, tell them that the Joe Gaither sent you. You can buy tickets at druidcitymusichall.com. You can find it right there at Ticketmaster as well. Uh, come see me. Meet me on Tuesday and on Friday. Uh, those will probably be shows that I'll be going to. You can be there at druidcitymusichall.com. So I want to move into basketball. I want to move into basketball with Nate Oates and with seven games left to go, uh, left to, left until the end of the SEC regular season. Alabama, half-game lead. You saw South Carolina lose, get beat by, what, 40 points, 40 bleeping points. Uh, the Auburn jungle is undefeated. I mean, li- literally, it's so hard to win down there. Did that make you feel a little bit better about the Alabama result? result? It made me feel a little bit better about the Alabama result for sure. Uh, but Alabama has seven games left to go and you've got A&M at home this coming up weekend. You've got several games left. All right, seven games left. You're, you got A&M this weekend. You got Florida at home this coming up midweek. All right, you go to two to Kentucky next Saturday. You go to Ole Miss for the next midweek. You got Tennessee at home. Florida on the road midweek again, and then Arkansas at home. So you got three Saturday home games in a row. Uh, not in a row, but three Saturday home games left. You got Kentucky on the uh, on the road one of those Saturdays. Uh, you got three Saturday home games left. You got a home and home with Ole Miss and a home and home with Florida. Uh, the schedule makers did a really weird job putting all the uh, you know the home and homes pretty close together, except for the Tennessee home and home. You got seven games left. You got your half game lead over your uh, South Carolinas and over your Auburns, uh, and and obviously you got the split with Auburn. So so you're gonna have to basically continue to be on on this track what is it 14 and 4 is pretty much your goal to win the league uh you go 14 and 4 you're at least taking a share of the the uh, uh of the SEC regular season title but you don't really want to have a share especially with a half game lead and only seven games left look you go you go what 15 and 3 you've won the league outright so you lose one game is it at Kentucky? Maybe so. Is it at Ole Miss or at Florida? Maybe so. But you you got to win these home games. You win these home games. You beat A and M. You beat uh you you beat A and M. You beat Tennessee and you beat Arkansas at home. These three home games that are left, and then you take the Florida midweek game. You 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 get those four home games. You set yourself up for winning the league and for Nate Oates to win the league after losing his three assistant coaches. After losing Brandon Miller, after losing Noah Clowney, after losing Javon Quinterly to the transfer portal late, after losing Charles Bediaco to the NBA draft late, 
after losing, uh, just keep on naming it, Namari Burnett to Michigan. You lost the player after player after player. You, you lost uh, coach after coach, and, and you wish them all well. Antoine Petway, you wish Brian Hodgson well. You wish Charlie Henry well. You wish them all well. But you lost all these losses, and you've come in here and defended your SEC regular season championship. Uh, you do that. Okay. You go back to my man Blake Byler's article. Let's back up just a little bit. Blake Byler on BamaCentral.com put out an article yesterday. Uh, yesterday, it's called Contextualizing How Historically Good the Alabama Basketball Offense Is. You can read it right there on BamaCentral.com. It's under the basketball tab. He outlines that this year's team is offensively one of the 12 best offensive teams in the last 25 years of college basketball. Which is insane to say the least. In, uh, absolutely insane. Now, uh, one of those teams is last year's basketball, Alabama basketball team. Uh, so that's pretty, pretty, pretty nuts. Uh, if I read him correctly, no, 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 actually, no, no I'm, not, I'm not reading him correctly. Uh, it's this year's team at 126.2. Uh, all right, so he, he outlines where they could finish and how they compare defensively. Now Alabama sits 74th in defense this year, so not, not, not good. Uh, they compare to, what, 2015 Notre Dame. 2015 Notre Dame went to the Elite Eight. We're, we're, we are congratulating, we are honoring the 2004 Alabama basketball team this weekend in Coleman Coliseum, who went to the Elite Eight. They've gone the farthest that any Alabama basketball team has ever gone. And that's going to be a lot of fun. I hope you get in there to, to Coleman Coliseum. If not, you can follow us at BamaCentral.com and on all our social medias for that. But my, I, I, I ask you, if Alabama goes on this 7-0 and run, go, or at least goes 6-1, and finishes out the, the year 15-3, 15-3 and wins the league, Nate Oates wins his third SEC regular season title in five years, back-to-back after replacing all everything that we, we just outlined, is it Nate Oates' best coaching job? It has to be. It has to be so far, at least so far here at Alabama. And secondarily, if this team is 2015, is 2015 Notre Dame with an SEC regular season title, and who knows what they do in the SEC tournament, what they do in Nashville. Who knows? You roll the dice in Nashville, they'll obviously be the number one overall seed at that point. This is ifs and buts and candy and nuts. We're all going to have a merry good Christmas. But 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 this is, but this is all hypothetical. If you can, if you go on a six and one stretch right here, you lose two at Kentucky. We'll just say you're at Kentucky Rupp Arena. I know they lost three in a row at Rupp Arena. They won against Ole Miss what two three nights ago to break that. Stage. Kid, I, it's just going to be a tough game. It's going to be a tough game. You might lose there, or you lose on the road to Florida, or let's just say Tennessee in desperation on that. Yeah, whatever, you go six and one. You're fifteen and three. You're league champions back to back. You've replaced what you've replaced. You're 2015 Notre Dame. You roll the dice in the SEC champion in the SEC tournament. Let's just say you're semifinalist, your final four in the SEC tournament. You make it to Saturday, you lose, whatever. Or maybe you win. You make it to Sunday, you lose. You're somewhere in that final four, that final weekend. All right, then you get to the NCAA tournament, and you are sitting there on a two seed, on a three seed, because you look at Joe Lenardi, who's got you as listed as a two seed right now. A lot of other outlets have you listed as a three but you you look at Lenardi who's got you as a two you've gone six and one you get to the SEC you know the final weekend you're all you're on a two line 
It's NATO. It's his best coaching job. But then I ask you, if that two line, if that two C team goes to the Elite Eight and loses because the defense is soft and runs into a team that's got a big old, you know, big old monster in the, in the middle, you know, you're in the Elite Eight at that point. You're playing a Zach Eady. You're playing a Ballo. You're playing a Kopfbrenner. You're playing a team that's got a strong big man. It sucks, but but it is just it is what it is. Alabama has struggled with a with an with a talented big this year. And they just have. They lose in the elite day. All right, the season is over. You take a step back. Is it the best Alabama team ever? Ever? Now look, and how crazy would that be? How how insane would that be? Coming off last year's team, who we thought or we all assumed, like look, what is it? 1986 Alabama, 87 Alabama, who made it to the Sweet 16 as well and got bounced out early, but was really incredible. Obviously, 2004 Alabama getting to the Elite Eight, but that team really struggled through the season. Finished third in the SEC West, would finish 500 in the SEC. So they got to the Elite Eight out of the uh, number eight overall seed. And yeah, they upset number one Stanford in their bracket. And that's great. Roll tide. But, 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 but really, as far as an overall team per se, if this team defends the SEC title with all the new parts, after losing three big games in non-conference, okay, you got to take that into consideration. But wins the SEC regular season title because they've gone six and one over the next seven games, which is doable, really. You look at, I mean, really, probably five and two is probably more realistic. But we're talking ifs and buts here. If they go <laughs> six and one and get to the Saturday Sunday spot, oh, up there in Nashville. And look, hell yeah, we'll be happy to be there and we'll be happy to be busy that weekend. Give it NATO to make us as busy as possible with content at BamaCentral.com. Would this be the best team ever if they may, if they were 2015 Notre Dame? I mean, analytically, that's who they stack up the most against. Now, could they be, who was it, 2012 Missouri? Uh, 2012 Missouri. Yeah, 2012 Missouri uh, ended up losing in the first round. And let's see, yeah, looking back on that list, all five members ended up making the final four who had def defensive efficiencies that are ranked in the top 35. Okay, so if you have a top 35 defense along with this historic offense, that you've made the final four. Alabama does not have a top 35 defense. Like we said, they're 74th. Similarly, two members of that list lost in the first round of the NCAA tournament. This is the, of the top 12 historic offenses. 2012 Missouri. And 2017, Oklahoma State, they both had defenses ranked outside of the top 100, though. So at 111 and 155. So, look, you're looking at an Alabama team that, you know, we're not saying they're going to be in the Elite Eight. We're not. But analytically speaking, uh, your 2015 Notre Dame team, uh, what, had a, a defensive efficiency rating of 194th, uh, 99th. Let's see, the Fighting Irish in 2015 had a defensive efficiency rating of 100.4, ranking 99th in the country. Alabama currently sits at 100.7. Notre Dame was a three seed in 2015, where a lot of brackets have Alabama. All right. So they, uh, Notre Dame loses to one seed Kentucky that year. You might be playing one seed Purdue, one seed UConn, one seed Arizona. You, you might be playing one of some of these one seed Houston. So that's where they can they, they, they've got you. Uh, elite eight team. If they win the if they get to the elite eight and they lose to a one seed, are they the best Alabama team ever? 
after if I mean you got to give them those those check marks. You've won the SEC regular season. You have done you know decently in the SEC tournament, and you've gotten to the Elite Eight. Whoo man, how good of a time is it to be an Alabama basketball team, a basketball fan, especially when you look forward to Nate Oates's uh, recruiting class in the 2024 recruiting class. You've got Alabama sitting at number six overall. You've got Aiden Sherrill, Deron Reed, and whatnot. It's Cunningham. Look, we've reached out to all those guys to uh, see if they want to be a part of the Joe Gaither Show, like several other recruits have been on the football side, and we'll just have to see what they end up saying overall. All right, so yeah, back to the just uh, zeroing in on this game. Alabama and AM. and uh, m bad matchup for Alabama, but Alabama is, are they are they a nine-point favorite? Have they put up the line yet? I think that's what, what it's going to end up being. Uh, Alabama, 86, uh, 86% uh, favorite on on the matchup predictor for ESPN analytics. They haven't put the line out on ESPN, but I think it's going to be about nine. Uh, and I think Alabama is going to win and keep their winning streak going. Uh, but I think that uh, I think it's going to be tough. I think it's not, not, not going to be very easy. You look at uh, you look at uh, Texas A&M and their rebounding. Anderson Garcia, you're going to have to get after him on the glass. Now, looks only 6.1 points per game, but his nine rebounds is you know, 6.7. So he's not going to be the tallest son of a gun. But so you get your Grant Nelson in there and you say, Grant, you're just going to have to root him out, my man. Grant's going to have to root him out. Jaron Stevens is going to have to get in there and, and play his part and continue to grow. Muhammad Wagi, can you get in there and not foul? Can you be play physical and not foul? Or is it just going to be up to Diabate to say, my engine is – Faster, you know, my engine is stronger than your engine, Anderson Garcia. And I mean, he's not an overly talented player, but getting to the line and leading the SEC in rebounding, uh, you're going to have to really uh, get uh, and clear the defensive glass uh, tomorrow. That's going to be the biggest key, as Texas A&M is very, very good at getting to the offensive glass and getting second-chance points. Wade Taylor, we know he's a free-throw machine. He's a free-throw monster. I think Alabama's going to win tomorrow. I think Alabama's going to win by less than double digits. I think it's probably going to end up being some, well, shoot, how many times has Alabama been in Coleman Coliseum and won by 20 this year? Goodness gracious, that, that thought just hit me. Let me just look at that uh, off the top of my head. Because the Crimson Tide, they've wrecked shop in, in Coleman Coliseum this year. Uh, Alabama... You know, they were on the road right there. Okay, so so they wrecked against Mississippi State. Yes, they wrecked against LSU. That's two in a row. Uh, then, obviously, the close game, the four-point game against Auburn. That's not uh, does not meet our criteria. Then they wrecked Missouri. Uh, then they were on the road in the state. They wrecked South Carolina, who's obviously been a better team than a lot of people expected. So that's four SEC games by multiple, by double digits. Look, you know what? Oh, after a closer look, Alabama, I think he's going to go by, go, 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 you know, 15. 15 is in my gut. Alabama's going to win by 15 uh, tomorrow in Coleman Coliseum and maintain their lead uh, in the SEC. As we stay on this topic, we're going to look at the rest of the SEC on the Saturday slate with Alabama. Yeah, I'm going to give them a 15 point lead at 11 a.m. on ESPN. You'll be able to follow us at Bama Central. We're going to be in Coleman Coliseum probably, you know, 9, 9 30, real early. Uh, you can 
can follow us at BamaCentral.com. As far as the rest of the SEC goes, there's going to be, what, one, two, three, four, five, six other games in the league, and we'll start with Florida and Georgia. Florida's at Georgia. I'm going to go ahead and give it to Florida. I know uh, Georgia is at home, but how many times has Florida – or how many times has Georgia uh, had a lead and just not been able to play a full 40 minutes? I'm going to go ahead and say that Florida will uh, will win. Arkansas is at Mississippi State. That might turn out to be a good little game at 1 o'clock on ESPNU. Oh, man, I'm going to give it to Mississippi State playing at home. I think they're going to win a very, very close, ugly matchup. Uh, LSU is at South Carolina. Uh, LSU playing better. They they, 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 uh, they obviously challenged – who did they Who did they challenge? They, they challenged who? Ole Miss? Uh, is that, was, that, was that their last game that they played close? No, Florida, excuse me. They challenged uh, – they were at Florida. They lost by two points uh, against Florida. Uh, but South Carolina taking that loss to, to Auburn, I think they bounced back and they beat LSU at home at 2 on SEC Network. Then Vanderbilt at Tennessee is just a matter of how many for Tennessee. Uh, Kentucky is at Auburn. That's going to be obviously the marquee game on the Saturday slate for you. Everybody, you know, might be listening to this show, thinking about Texas A&M and Alabama, but at six at 5 p.m. on ESPN, Kentucky is at Auburn. Kentucky coming off the win against Ole Miss. Auburn coming off wrecking shop against uh, wrecking shop against South Carolina at home. You know how good of a team they're going to be at home. The line is already out right there at nine and a half. I'm going to take Auburn. I'm going to take Auburn, and that will likely eliminate the Kentucky Wildcats from SEC championship contention and keep Auburn in it at nine and uh, well, at ten and three after the win. Uh, that three loss mark is, uh, is is pretty much the most important factor here, as most of these teams are coming down with what seven or eight games, six, seven or eight games left on their schedule, depending on if they've had the bye or not. Uh, so that's going to be our SEC schedule. Uh, obviously, all our eyes are going to be on Alabama and Texas. And we're taking Alabama by 15 tomorrow. Oh, no, I do see a line. Okay, great. Alabama is favored by nine and a half. Uh, I said nine, so that's great. I think uh, I think that's that's about right. And I'm going to take the Crimson Tide covering at home uh, as the Crimson Tide's honoring the 20, 2004 Elite Eight team. Do you like the uniforms? You you like the uh, the, the Wake logo? I love the Wake logo. Uh, I'm enjoying the, uh, the 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 merchandise that's coming out. You can check it out right uh, right there on all the Twitter sites from. Uh, Alabama uh, basketball. Uh, you can you know support the guys tomorrow in Coleman Coliseum. Uh, we're going to continue on by talking Alabama bas- baseball just real quick. Baseball teams opening up in like 25 minutes over at the Joe. They've got a three-game set against the Manhattan Jaspers. You're going to see three pitchers this weekend. Alabama's baseball team comes into the season ranked uh, what 17th in the D1 baseball poll, uh, 19th uh, no 17th in USA Today. Excuse me, uh, 19th in D1 baseball. Look, it's going to be a new era in Alabama baseball. I like Rob Vaughn. I like what you've seen out of Rob Vaughn. You, he's hit the transfer portal very, very hard. I think the baseball team it takes itself uh, pretty seriously. Uh, and, I, and, and I think Rob Vaughn is a guy that might be able to take this baseball team from where it's been kind of you know, bubbling up and, and really getting it overflowing uh, with a lot of wins and a lot of success. Uh, and, and look, you know you're playing in the toughest league in the country in the SEC, but you've got a good pitching staff this 
year, or you expect to have one of the strongest pitching staffs in the league, and that's going to be crucial uh, as those guys get going. You can follow it at BamaCentral.com. Our man Will Miller is over at the park for all three games, so I'm excited to uh, see his coverage. As well, at 4 o'clock, Alabama softball kicking off their next five-game set right here uh, here in Tuscaloosa. They're, 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 they're going to be there. It's going to be their home opener, excuse me, at the Eastern Bama Bash as they were in Atlanta last weekend. Uh, they're taking on several uh, maybe not so not so hot teams, St. Louis, St. Thomas, Virginia, and Southern Indiana in a five-game series across those those three teams. So ideally, Alabama moves on to ten and zero, and we see you know if the if the ladies have you know something that they can work forward to in the post Montana Fouts era. Uh, that's going to be very important to see what the pitching staffs can do. Obviously, uh, you, you saw Caleb Beaver last week and get a no hitter and almost get a second no hitter, uh, but. Can can they can can they do that? I guess elite competition going forward. Uh, that that'll be yet to be determined. And uh, unfortunately, you know, it'll be nice to get out there uh, and, and support the ladies at the Rhodes House if, if that's what you're going to do this weekend. But I don't think that going five and zero this weekend is really indicative of <laughs> the, the competition. The competition that this team is going to be seeing uh, really later on down the line when things get serious. Uh, let's move on to two more topics to get out of here with, and they're NFL-related. I know we don't always do a whole lot of NFL, but we're doing NFL as they relate to Alabama on two different topics. I want to thank everybody who's watched the Joe Gaither Show on Bama Central at BamaCentral.com. Listen to us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or on Amazon. You can subscribe, rate, and review the show. Send it to a friend. Uh, tell them about the show and tell them about this bozo doing, uh, doing Alabama sports on BamaCentral.com. Before we do that uh, and talk about these two NFL topics, I want to hit one more time on Druid City Music Hall. Druid City Music Hall this weekend, the Brook and the Bluff is going to be on Tuesday. This coming out week, excuse me, Tuesday. The Pigeons playing ping pong. They're kind of a funky, a little bit of a take on talking heads per se. Uh, 49 Winchester, classic Southern rock, very country sounding, uh, very modern country. 49 Winchester on Thursday. Uh, you can find them at Druid City Music Hall. And then the Stews. I'm going to be there on, on Tuesday and on Friday. The Stews sound kind of like uh, Young Kings of Leon. They sound a little bit like the Black Keys. I know they are from Auburn if you look them up, and that might suck for you guys, but they sound amazing. So I'm really looking forward to be there on Tuesday and on Friday. But you can check them out, uh, Druid City Music Hall, if you're into kind of a little Southern Rock Country on Thursday with 49 Winchester. And you can check them out on, on Wednesday with Pigeons playing ping pong with a little more more of a uh, funky kind of uh, Umphreys McGee uh, talking heads kind of jam bandy sound with pigeons pigeons playing ping pong over at Druid City Music Hall. And you can check them out at druidcitymusichall.com. Last thing I want to hit on for today is two NFL topics as they pertain to Alabama. Eddie Jackson gets released from my Chicago Bears and Mac Jones likely getting released. Lots of slander, not so much slander in my opinion, coming out about Mac Jones. Let's start with uh, what's nearer and dearer to my heart, and that's Eddie Jackson. Okay, Eddie Jackson, I have his uniform. Full disclosure, I have his uniform hanging up in my closet, and I have an autograph uh, on the side of my on the side of my fridge from Eddie Jackson. So I am a big Eddie Jackson supporter, but when it comes to the NFL level, I am much more just a Chicago Bears supporter. I love it when the Bears draft an Alabama player, but I uh, really once you're on the Bears, you better perform. And the last 
maybe two seasons, obviously the Bears have been bad. Uh, it hasn't been what it's been in 2018. And Eddie Jackson in 2018 was very, very good for the Chicago Bears, uh, helping them win the NFC North. And, you know, he was very impactful, uh, getting lots of turnovers and, and scoring off those turnovers. Uh, but Eddie Jackson has maybe shown a little propensity to not want to tackle as much over the last couple of seasons. Now it's been harder. You're playing for a losing team. I understand that. But Eddie has played a little more shy uh, since he's been paid. Uh, he, you know, really seven years in the league, seven years as a fourth-round draft pick, seven years uh, after getting your, your leg broken here at Alabama, tragically, oh, just horrible. If Eddie Jackson's leg doesn't get broken, does Alabama win uh, another national championship? I think so. Uh, but Eddie Jackson gets drafted in the, what, fourth round by the Chicago Bears, and I remember going nuts in my living room in excitement. Uh, but it's time. I say as a Bears fan, for him, it's just time. Uh, as he played three of his four years of his massive extension that he got, what, $58 million extension in 2020 after his huge season. He played, what, three of those four years. So congratulations to him. The Bears save, what, $5, 7000000 million. He was going to uh, make, what, $12 million this season. Six and change go on as dead camp for the, for the Bears, and then they save another six and change. And Eddie can go play for a contending team, hopefully. Uh, maybe he can play for a team that can get him to play at 100% all the time. Now, look, it, the life of an NFL player is so hard. So it's so hard for me to judge that by watching film, you know, hundreds of miles away uh, and watching film through the laptop. I just think he lost some of the impact that he made in his younger years with the, roaming the backfield uh, in, the Chicago, in the Chicago Bears uh, defensive backfield. Uh, as far as the other topic, Mac Jones. Look, I'm going to take a little victory lap. If you followed my career at all, whether I was with when I was with Tide 109 or not, uh, you know that I have been an anti, well, not anti Mac Jones per se, but a Mac Jones hater per se. Look, everybody in the Alabama circles, everybody that I listen to, everybody that listens to me, everybody that in it's in Alabama circles loves Mac Jones. Obviously, the 2020 season was magical. It was one of the best seasons in college football history and one of the best offenses in college football history. Uh, with that being said, I was always, well, an, a Mac Jones detractor. I always said he was not going to be a great NFL quarterback, and you're seeing reports now from Albert Breer talking about how toxic the the, the New England quarterback room was. So toxic that Bailey Zapp, uh, Bailey Zappi, was watching film in wide receivers' rooms. You're seeing the New England Patriots drafting in the top five because of how unsuccessful they were offensively, and a lot of the Mac Jones supporters have said, and they're right, absolutely, that the Patriots have not done right by Mac Jones, not giving him offensive weapons not giving them adequate offensive coordinators, not giving them adequate offensive systems, not properly supported Mac Jones, and you're absolutely right. But I would argue that Mac Jones is never, and I did argue, that Mac Jones is never going to be the reason anyone ever wins. Uh, people always talk about how magical the 2020 season was, and you're absolutely right. It was one of the best Alabama offenses ever. But you had Devontae Smith win the Heisman Trophy. You had... Najee Harris finishing the top five of the Heisman Trophy voting, and you had Joe Moore winning offensive line. 
I, I think that you put any of the Nick Saban quarterback, uh, quarterbacks in that system. Now you had Jalen Waddle in the first part of the season and at the end of the season. Yes, I remember Jalen Waddle gets hurt, what, against Tennessee, and then he comes back for the national championship game. But it's one of the most prolific Alabama offenses of all time because of the dangerous weapon that was Devontae Smith on the outside, the mauling offensive line, and Najee Harris in the backfield that could do pretty much anything that you asked any running back to do. Was Mac Jones a good fit? Absolutely. Did he do a good job? Absolutely. Does he belong in the Alabama annals of history? Absolutely. He he belongs absolutely in the historical realms of great Alabama quarterbacks. But is he the greatest Alabama quarterback just because of that one year? No, no, no. He's not Bryce Young. He's not Tua Tagovailoa. He's not Bart. St he's not any of these great players uh, that, that have played. He's not Kenny Stabler. Come on now. He's not any of these great players like Joe Namath. He's not any of these great players. Now, is he a national champion? Yes. And you thank him for it. But you're driving a, a, a car that's pretty daggum souped up. You go into the NFL where you need to be making plays from the quarterback position to survive in the league. Uh, and even when you have adequate support, you need to be the playmaker. You've seen really some of the uh, so, so some of the game managers survive in the league but most often the the quarterbacks who are winning in the league are the ones who are making plays and yeah Mac Jones he gets the quarterback he gets the Patriots to the uh, to, to, to to the playoffs in the first year uh, as a rookie but he has the number one defense in the league and he's got Damian Harris, who I don't really love myself, but Damian Harris ran the ball very, very well that first year uh, when they were together. And then basically Matt goes off a cliff. Of course, there's no there's no weapons, and you give him credit. Uh, you give him uh, grace because there's no weapons. But Mac Jones is going to be looking for a new team uh, in the next couple of months as the Patriots are going to be drafting somebody, and it turns out four years later – I was maybe right about our friend Mac Jones that he's not the premier NFL quarterback, that he's not going to be a premier NFL quarterback because his talent is not nearly as high as that of Jalen Hurts, of that as Tua Tagovailoa, as that as Bryce Young. He is not as talented as the other quarterbacks in the Nick Saban era. Uh, I know he had probably the best year, absolutely the best year, but that was my take four years ago that he was not as talented as these other quarterbacks that we have seen. Now, obviously, Bryce was next, so we didn't really know that, uh, but <laughs> I, I still think that Mac was pretty average and has been average in the NFL. All right, so that's going to do it for our day-to-day. -day. I want you to pay attention to BamaCentral.com this whole weekend because tomorrow we're going to be doing uh, we're going to be doing Alabama basketball at 11 a.m. We're going to be doing basketball at 11 a.m. We're doing baseball all weekend long. Three games set uh, for baseball. Three games set against Man uh, Manhattan College. 4 p.m. today. What is it? Two o'clock. Uh, Two o'clock on, uh, on on Saturday, and then I think it's uh, I think it's the same on Sunday. But huge week week at BamaCentral.com. Uh, you've got a huge event for uh for softball you're at the east and bama bash and you can follow it at bamacentral.com as well and then we'll be all over it miss follow miss katie windham follow bama uh, blake byler and follow myself we'll get out of here for the day i'll be back with you on monday for another edition of the joe gaither show on bama central and bamacentral.com thanks for joining us on today's edition of the joe gaither show on bama central Keep up with Joe on all his social media pages at JoeGaither6. Subscribe, rate, and review the show on Spotify and Apple Podcasts, and be sure to read us daily at BamaCentral.com.